Well, welcome back to our series, our mini-series on transitions. And we're doing this mini-series because we have the privilege of going through a bit of a transition ourselves, uh, from our previous rector, John, and Stu as well, uh, to our new rector, Mal, you're coming soon. And last week, what we saw was a story in the Bible where there was a transition of leadership, from Elisha to Elijah, Elijah to Elisha. And we saw last week that life is hard and ministry is hard, but God is in control. And so therefore, go all in, commit your whole life to God. Well, tonight we've read, a diff- today we've read a different part of the Bible, a story about another transition, this time the transition between Moses and Joshua. And what we'll see is that God will say, look, there's a change of leadership, but I'm going to continue with you. Also, I'm going to continue with you going forward into the promised land. And as you continue forward, I want you to grow inwardly to be more and more like God. So we'll see that God will say, continue forward and inward. So let's look at these parts in turn. First of all, we'll see continue. Now, some of you here, I'm sure, can remember this Cecil B. DeMille movie with Charlton Heston, and he's Moses, and his associate, his aide, Joshua on the side. And the very first thing we read is that God wants to continue with his people. We'll see this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2. So come with me to Joshua chapter 1. It says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. Quite straightforward. Joshua, my servant, is dead. And now continue. But let's pause here for a while. Because God just addressed Joshua and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Just half a verse. Just one sentence. But it's a massive sentence, isn't it? Because who was this Moses guy? He wasn't just any servant of God. He was actually, God had lots of servants, a whole nation of Israel. But he was a leader. But not just any leader, but a leader who God did amazing miracles through. When he was born, all of his, all of his peers got killed by the Egyptians, put to the sword. But he was saved by being put in a basket on the river. And as a result, he was saved. He was picked up by the daughter of Pharaoh and made into a prince of Egypt with all the education and all the status that went along with that. And then he left that post. He went into the wilderness and God called him to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt. And through Moses, God called down 10 plagues. They were amazing plagues. Everything from flies and gnats to darkness to the water turning into blood to the death of a firstborn of each household. Incredible miracles. And not only that, as they left Egypt, God used Moses to part the Red Sea. The people of Israel walked through, and when the Egyptian armies tried to follow them, the Red Sea closed and drowned and killed those pursuing armies. But not only that, God actually brought them to Sinai, where the people were so scared because God was on top of that mountain that they they wouldn't even go up. But God got Moses to come up to the mountain and bring down to the people the Ten Commandments. And not even only that, but Moses is the one that God used to bring all the way to the River Jordan. They sent in 12 spies. Ten came back and said, no, it's too scary. Two came back and said, yes, let's trust God. One of them was Joshua. But because of that, because they refused to trust God, God sent them into the wilderness for 40 years. And during that time, God used Moses to feed these people quail from heaven, 
manna from heaven. Their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years and even gave him water from a rock through Moses. This Moses was not just any servant of God. He was a leader, and not just any leader, a great leader of God's people. But when God addresses this topic in Joshua chapter 1, what does he say? Moses, my leader, is dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you continue into the promised land. To be sure, there's a big deal made about uh, Moses' death in Deuteronomy. But here in Joshua chapter 1, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now let's continue. Now why does he do this? Well, because as important as Moses was, as talented, as gifted, as much as God had done through him, Moses is just a man, and a sinful man at that, just like you and me. Moses is a leader, and he is important. But at the end of the day, the true leader of God's people is God himself. And in one sense, as important as Moses was, he's not that important because God continues to lead. So when Moses is dead, no worries. Now then, continue, because your true leader is still with you. Now that was true of them back then, and it's true of us today as well, isn't it? Because in many ways, we are all followers and leaders in our own rights. Now, we have uh, church leaders in the past. We've had people like Mark. We've had people like John. We've had people like Stu. And they've done a good job leading us, and it's fantastic to have them. But at the end of the day, they weren't our true leaders. Our true leader has always been God. And so now when Mal comes, yes, there's going to be transition. Yes, there's going to be changes. But we can be assured and comforted to know at the end of the day, our true leader is God, and he doesn't change no matter who our human leaders are. And so therefore, we can be confident, we can be assured, and just continue with God. Now, I know a lot of us, we are also leaders in our own rights, uh, in our workplaces, in in our homes, in our communities, and we're to be reminded as well that no matter what kind of leadership role we have, even at church, ultimately, we're not the true leaders of those groups. It's actually God who's their leader. And so we want to do things God's way, point them to God in whatever role we have. And just be reminded that God's in control. And we do a good job, but we trust him for the results. Uh, about 20-odd years ago, 25 years ago, I, I helped lead a youth group in my old church, about 180, 200 youth. And, uh, and then I got a, an offer to go and study and work in Boston. And I really liked it because it was like, oh, my goodness, it's such a good opportunity. I, I, I want to do this. But I was very burdened because I was doing so much stuff with youth group. And, and, and so I was just struggling whether or not I should let this go. So I went and spoke to another pastor from another church, and I said to him, you know, I've got some burdens, I'm running this youth group, and so many people in it, and yet I've got this great opportunity, and what do I do? And this guy, a real, real sensitive pastor type, he just looked at me and said, who do you think you are, Jesus? Now, he makes a good point, doesn't he? Yes, you know, I sort of had a role to play in this group, running it, leading them, but at the end of the day, Jesus is the true leader of this youth group. And so therefore, without me there, it'd be okay I mean, God will still lead them. I mean, it was good for me to have those concerns, but at the end of the day, I sort of overstated my importance to this group. And in fact, I went away for two, three years, came back, and they probably did better without me. (laughs) So that was a good reminder that God's the ultimate leader. So in this time of transition for them between Moses and Joshua, and in this time of transition for us between John and Stu and Mal, praise God for them, thank God for them. But no need to be anxious, because at the end of the day, the true leader is God, and he doesn't change. We continue with him. 
All right. Well, God says to them, not only will I continue with you as your true leader, but actually I want you guys to move forward together with me into the promised land. We'll see this in verses 3 through to 6. So come with me to Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you in all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will, all, will be with you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to them, to their ancestors, to give them. You see, God's not just going to remain with them, but God's going to continue with them going forward into the promised land. See, many, many years ago, God made a promise to a guy called Abraham, Abram, who became Abraham. And he promised Abraham that he would give them people, he would bless the world through them, and he promised them land, a promised land, a land of their own. And the people of Israel were on their way to take possession of this land, but they got waylaid in, in Egypt for a while, about 400 years, where they were in slaves. And God promised to Moses, I will use you to deliver your people out of slavery, out of Egypt, and into the promised land. And so they went to the promised land. They went to Jordan 40 years ago. They failed God and had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And now they're about to actually go in. And God says to Joshua, as I promised Abraham, as I promised Moses, I'm going to bring you to the promised land and you're my man to get the people there. You see, their mission going forward was actually to come out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land of Canaan. And this land will be a land dripping with milk and honey. It'll be great there. So too, we have also been called on a mission, but not from physical Egypt to physical Palestine, but rather God has called us on a mission as well. He's going to go forward with us as well from earth into the true promised land of heaven. See, this promised land in Canaan was just a shadow, was just a, 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 a taste of what was to come. The true promised land would be in heaven, and Christians now are on their way there. And while they were, taught, while they were told to conquer this land and occupy this land with armies and swords and shields, we're not to do that. We're to bring as many people to the promised land with us as possible. We are on mission going forward with God, taking people with us to the true promised land in heaven. You see, Jesus says in Matthew 28, as you all know, therefore can go making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Israelites had a mission, and the church today has a mission as well, on our way to the promised land. Now, there's a movie called Madagascar, and I have to be honest with you, I haven't actually watched this movie. I've meant to watch it, and I was, it's, my, it's my homework, but I actually read the Wikipedia um, summary of it, and my kids have actually watched the first hour of it in their TV time. So, but I, I still don't know what's going on. So in Madagascar, you see there's this bunch of animals in a zoo in New York, 
And they're, they're, they're in these nice cages, and then one of them, I think it's the zebra, sort of thinks, well, I was born for something different to this. I was born for the wild. Uh, I suppose life is supposed to be dangerous. Life is supposed to be um, avoiding enemies, hunting down my own food, not being, not being fed by zookeepers in a cage and having little kids look at me and, and laugh at me. Right? They were born to live in the wild. They want to be out unleashed, but rather they're living in a zoo. And the zoo is okay. I mean, they're, get, they're getting fed. It's safe. And the zookeepers even make the zoo look like the countries that they're from, Africa. They've got the trees and the rocks and the little stream, but it's not the wild. They were born for the wild. They're born to be unleashed into the wilderness, but instead they're in a nice little zoo in New York. And in many ways, the church is like that as well, isn't it? See, we were born, we were created to be unleashed on the earth. We're supposed to go out there, go to the promised land and bring as many people as we can with us. That's the church's mission. And all too often, what we do for ourselves is we create our own little cage. It's a pretty cage. It's got nice windows. It's got lights. It's got heating in the winter. It's a nice cage, but it's a cage. We lock ourselves in here on a Sunday morning or at our friend's house on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night for a small group. And we sort of think that's what we're on about. But we were born for something different. We were born to be unleashed, to go to the promised land and bring as many people as we can with us. There's a guy called, um, there's a pastor called Alan Hirsch uh, in the book called uh, Letters to the Churches, which your small group leaders and the staff members have read. And he said, he makes an observation. In so many churches, the mission of a church has actually become the maintenance of the institution itself. Wow. We make rosters, we practice music, we prepare talks, we run kids' programs so that we can make rosters, practice music, prepare talks next week. So we can do that again next week and the next week. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. It's good to come to church and to have our kids taught the Bible and for ourselves to sing songs of worship to God. They're good things. But if that's all we do, then it's, a, it's very sad, isn't it? We're meant for so much more than that. We're meant to be unleashed for the wild. Now, sometimes like those zoo animals, we make our zoo, make our cages look a little bit like the wild, so we can feel like we're out there. We have highlights, don't we, where we get told about how our friends are in Tanzania doing great stuff for God in Western China and even in Western Sydney, and it makes us feel like we're out there with them. But we're not. We're in here. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with those highlights. In fact, it's good that we have those highlights to tell us what's going on outside the world, in the world, to help us to pray for them, to help us to support them financially and many other ways. But we've got to be out there like them in the world. You see, while they're out in Tanzania, while they're out in Western China, where are they not? They're not in Roseville. They're not in Chatswood. But that's okay, because we're here. But we're not here to sit in a box only. We're here to be unleashed, to go to the promised land and to take as many people as we can with us. You see, the, the author of his book, a pastor called Francis Chan, he says, church, the answer is not to build bigger and nicer cages, nor is it to renovate the cages to look more like the wild. It is time to open the cages, remind the animals of their God-given instincts and capabilities, and release them into the world. That's what we're for. Release us into the world. And it is happening. It is happening in the world. The church is on a mission, and it is going to the promised land and bring people with them. In this book... They give us several examples. Here's a few of them. In East Asia, there was a plan. There was a three-year plan to plant 200 churches. 
and they, in fact, planted 360 churches in just six months. They're ahead of schedule. Ridiculous. That's what happened. In Latin America, during persecution, the churches there grew from 235 to 4,000 in just 10 years under persecution. And in India, and I had to read this line about 10 times, but in India in 2001, they planted a new church every 24 hours. That's nuts. I mean, the Japanese can make a McDonald's in 24 hours, but these Indians are planting a church every 24 hours in 2001. God is taking his people on mission to the promised land, and people are joining. But just in case you think this is for the exotic countries like Western China or Latin America, India, it's happening in sophisticated first world cities like New York City as well. I've shared this stat with you before, but there's a church in New York City with a pastor called Tim Keller, and they said in 1989, 1% of downtown New York was in gospel-centered churches. In 2016, 5% are in gospel-centered churches, and by God's grace and by the work of our brothers and sisters in Christ in New York, by 2026, they expect to see 15% of downtown Manhattan in gospel-centered churches. God is bringing his people on mission. But it's not just out there in New York. It's right here in Roseville, in Chatswood. In the last four years, four churches have been planted in Chatswood alone. Mosaic, Grace City Church, The Chapel, and Redeemer City Church, which I helped out at. It's happening right next door. And it's not just happening outside St. Andrews. At the end of term one, the hub pulled together a coalition of five churches Across the week, there was about 200 kids who came along, and about 80 of those kids were actually unchurched. They hadn't heard the gospel before, and they did when they came here. We're a part of this. And not only that, just last week you heard, there was a, there was a coalition of 13 churches the Lower North Shore, and they put on an event called United. 686 youth attended, of which 200 have not been churched, and now they know the gospel and are being followed up. God is taking his people on mission. God is unleashing his people. It's happening overseas, it's happening in cities just like ours, it's happening in Chatswood, it's happening within our own church. Do we want to be part of this movement? Do we want to be unleashed to go to the promised land and take people with us? Will we do as adults what our kids are already doing? As individuals, but also as a church. God's calling us to continue, but continue forward. Well, lastly, God says, I want you to go forward, but I also... As you go forward, I want you to grow inwardly to be more like God. And he says this in verses 7 through to 9. Come with me to verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It was important for Israel to go into the promised land to move forward, but they weren't just to go there to be like those other nations. They were to be pure they're to follow God's commands. They're to, to memorize the laws of God, live his way, worship God alone. That was the formula. It was true for them, and it's true for us as well. You see, 
God is interested in us going on mission, but he also is interested in us growing internally as well, to growing to be more like Christ. Now, I want you to cast your minds back to when some of you had babies, when you had a newborn, or maybe you guys were uncles and aunties of someone who had a baby, or you saw someone at church. And when you first have a baby, you, your baby's born and they're about maybe three, four kilograms, you know, and that's good, right? But then you take them home and you expect them to stack on the pounds, right? stack on the kilograms. It'd be really weird if the baby three months, six months later was still three or four kilograms. You'd be worried, right? Babies grow. And then you send them to school, kindergarten through year 12. They're supposed to grow. They're not supposed to stay in kindergarten forever. And then they go to university, and they're supposed to go from first year to second year to third year to, to fourth year, fifth year, sixth year, if you want to do medicine. You're supposed to graduate. Right? You're not supposed to go first year, second year, change degree, first year, second year, change degree, but, which is what a lot of them are doing. But eventually, they do graduate. And also in our jobs, it's true, isn't it? We start as a graduate, and we sort of get promoted to be managers and partners and whatever else. People grow. And so why do we think that the church, the Christian life, is any different? Some of us have been at church for four years, 14 years, 40 years, and are we actually growing to be more like Christ? All your small group leaders will know that the mission of a Christian and the Christian mission of a small group is to continue to grow in Christ. Colossians 2, So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. As Christians, we're to receive Christ Jesus as Lord and continue, but not continue flatline, but continue to be growing in Christ. The trajectory of a Christian life is to grow. So let's ask ourselves this morning, when we, are we more godly? Do we know scriptures better? Are we fighting sins more effectively today than we were this time last year, this time four years ago? this time 14 years ago, 40 years ago, are we growing? Because that's a part of continuing with God, to meditate on his word and to obey everything he says. But it's not just that. We're told that it's not just individual growth that's happening, it's also team growth. Later on in this passage, the Israelites are going to go into the promised land. Some tribes would stay on the east, but they were to send their fighting men, and as a team, they had to conquer the promised land together. Now, I know a few, about a month ago, we sort of watched the Wallabies and we sort of thought, wow, they won. This is an unfamiliar feeling. And so we watched, we watched them a couple of weeks ago and we think, maybe it will happen the same. But no, they got smashed. But it'd be really weird, right, if you're watching the Wallabies play and then suddenly half a team decided just to, you know, just to pick up the Gatorade bottles and start drinking while the rest of their, men, rest of their team members are playing. Now, I know some of you think that's what happened anyway. But in reality, on the team, everybody plays. And that's true in our homes as well. Uh, in my home, um, my oldest is nine and my youngest is three, and we make them clean up, right? The mantra in our house is, use something, put it back. Use something, put it back. Use something, put it back. You use a toy, you use the thing, you put it back. But at the end of the day, we all pack up the house before Bible time. And nowadays, Anne has instituted a new thing where randomly she can just call out, Blitz! And when it's Blitz, <laughs> they have to pack up all their Lego from the floor and just put stuff back and so that, but, so that the house is clean. Now, that's true in the home. Even my three-year-old has to pack up. Everybody serves. Why do we think that in church that's not the case? Why do we think at church some people do the work and others of us get to watch? You see, in Ephesians 4 it says, So Christ gave himself, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip the people for works of service. Our leaders are here to equip us so that we can do the work. 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We are as a community to grow to be more like Christ, and we're to do it by having the encouragement and the instruction and the service of each other. We're here to make each other more like Christ as a community. Our leaders equip us for that, but it's our job to do it. It's true in the home. It's true on the football field. It's true inside the church as well. And also, lastly, we, we train people to go out there to, to serve in God in great ways. Uh, this book in particular, Francis Chan says, you send the kid to Harvard for four years and you expect him to become some sort of CEO in a, in a distant future. And yet with church, we send guys to church for four years, 14 years, 40 years, do we expect them to go out and do great things for God? You see, we send our kids to Harvard and to Cambridge and to Macquarie University, and what we don't expect them to do is come out and flip burgers. Nothing wrong with flipping burgers. You just don't need a degree to do it. But we expect them to take on responsibilities and grow and serve the community better. So to a church, we should be on a trajectory of growth in our service. We've been here for a while, we learn stuff, we should be taking up more positions of responsibility. Now, I'm not saying we should all be at the front doing stuff, we all have different gifts, but we should all be caring for each other more, we should be praying for each other more. We could be stacking chairs, we can be running small groups, we can be doing a whole bunch of things, but we should be taking more and more responsibilities. Just as students go to university, graduate and, and get responsible jobs, so too we come to church, we grow and we pick up more responsibilities in whatever field God has for us. We're to grow inwardly as well as forward. Now, I know I've said a whole bunch of stuff, and you're, you're feeling a bit tired. You think, oh, my goodness, there's so much to do. And yeah, the Christian life can be tiring at times. It can actually be uh, Christians seldom get bored. There's lots of stuff for us to do. But notice where the power source is for all this activity. Notice where the, the, the assurance comes from. It's not from them. You see, they're being led into a promised land. They're a bunch of nomads. They don't have great armies. They don't have great economies. They don't have a whole science department to help them fight. They're going to face fortified cities, which are irrigated with economies. They're going to lose. But God says to them, be strong and courageous, not because you've got a fantastic army, but because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God is to be their confidence. They're powered by God. That was true of them, but it's also true of us. 3,000 years later, uh, 1,000 years after that, Jesus would say something very similar in John 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Just like Israel was to be strong and courageous because God was with them, we are to be strong and courageous connected to Christ. Now, I will have with me this morning a branch. Now, what is wrong with this branch? Well, it's not connected to a tree. That's the first problem with it. Now, we're a bunch of pretty clever and talented people in this room, lots of degrees in this room, I'm sure. Do you think if we all sat down, we could actually make this branch bear fruit? We sat here the whole afternoon. Do you reckon we could do it? No, right? It's not connected to a tree. If we stood here the whole week, we couldn't do it. Now, we can do stuff, but we can actually say, oh, here's a fruit, and let's... Um, Let's stick it onto the branch, like that. Yeah, yeah, that would be really good. Ah, we bore fruit, right? We bore fruit, it's pretty good, right? But I can assure you, if we came back here next week, this apple will be wilted, and so will this branch. 
See, we, it can't bear fruit away from the tree. And over time, it will show. And also, as soon as a little wind comes, a little wind comes, and oh, boom, oh, boom the, the fruit will fall off. So too, with us going on mission, so too with us trying to grow to be more like Christ. If it's not built on being connected to Christ, we'll just be like this fake fruit from this dead branch. We need to be connected to him. That's our first port of call. Well, we've seen a few things today, haven't we? We've seen that there's a massive change in leadership from the great Moses to this relatively unknown guy, Joshua. But the people of Israel can be assured they'll be okay because ultimately God is their leader and not Moses or Joshua. And likewise with us, we can be assured, as good as John was and Stu was and now will be, we can be assured because God is our ultimate leader. We've been told that while we're with God, he wants to bring us forward to the promised land and to take people with us. I've been told that we to grow more like Christ on the way there. You see, they had a guy called Joshua, whose name means Yahweh saves. And he would bring them into a promised land, which would be good. But after a while, just one book away in Judges, it starts to fall apart. The Israelites' hearts were being hardened. It wasn't all that great. They get a bit better with the kings, but ultimately, they get exiled. Yahweh saves in Joshua was good, but imperfect. We have a much better mission. We have a leader called Jesus, whose name means Yahweh saves. And he's going to bring us to the promised land. But this promised land will be perfect. And we ourselves will be perfect when we get there. We can follow this guy. We can trust in this guy. We can trust in his providence for human leaders. And we can go on mission with him and grow in him as we're connected with him. Amen.